Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org. And now a message from The Rock of Gainesville. This morning, though, Pastor Ron is with you. Thank you, Pastor George, Pastor Suzanne, for the opportunity to do that. Uh, And here's what we're going to do. We're going to continue our series on joy. I think Pastor thought we were going to kind of pull the plug on it, uh, but we sort of, uh, me and Pastor Hector and Pastor Jamie kind of created a little bit of a mutiny and decided to go ahead and go forward with it. And today I'm going to talk about the joy of grace, the joy of grace in your life. Now, if you are like me, you just got to go ahead and say, thank God for the grace of God. You just got to say it out loud. Go ahead and say it out loud. Thank God for the grace of God. Grace is probably one of the greatest truths of our, our spiritual journey and our Christian walk. Uh, it is one of the foundational theological stones of, that makes up everything that we are and everything that we experience in God's kingdom. Phenomenal, phenomenal theological truth, but it's one of the most loved. But it's also, guys over the past 10 or 15 years become one of the more uh, diluted, maligned truths in the body of Christ. Unfortunately, it really has. And, And here's what happens. The diluted grace message says this, that God does not require certain things of us. That's what it says. When in actuality, God is really, really good at giving us commandments. He's really good at it. Uh, he doesn't do it from a bondage standpoint. He just does it from the standpoint of helping us grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But he's actually pretty good at giving commandments. He said, you shall not murder. And then Jesus followed it up this way. says, you shall not murder. That's a commandment. You shall not murder. Now, how many of you would agree with me? That's probably a pretty good commandment to follow. You know? Now, I understand if you're on Newberry Road at six o'clock in the afternoon, you have to overcome a little problem there. Say hello to my little friend. And so uh, you got to kind of work through it a little bit. But it's a commandment that we really need to follow. You shall not murder. Jesus went on to say, he said, but I tell you that even if you call your neighbor a fool, you are worthy of hellfire. Wow. Pretty heavy there. So what we got, in, now here's what it reminds me of, guys. It reminds me of the little boy that was going to school with his mom. And he said, mommy, why is it that the idiots only come out when daddy takes me to school? <laughs> got to watch what you say there, Bubba. So here's what we got. Here's what we got. You shall not murder law. I say, if you even call your neighbor a fool, you're worthy of hellfire. Grace. Don't even go down that road. So what grace does, guys, is grace introduces a whole new level of potential in your life. It really does. It creates something that's absolutely incredible because when God removed the mandate of the law, he did not remove the mandate of responsibility. So the mandate of the law is not there, but he didn't remove the mandate of responsibility. Here's what he did for you. He put you in partnership with him to have the ability to do the absolute unthinkable. You do anything you want to do, man. 
Because grace enables you to do that. Law requires, but grace enables you to do the absolute unthinkable. Acts chapter 4, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. When did grace come upon them? As they were testifying of Jesus. As they were under Roman oppression, as they were under Roman, ob- Roman bondage rather, grace came upon them because they were testifying of the love and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Nobody probably understood that more than Paul. See, here's the deal. Grace enables. Grace changes you and I. And Paul had the ability to say, when you've been where I've been, when you've done what I've done, when you've hated like I've hated, when you had to, had to walk from oppression the way I've been, had to walk under oppression, when you've been through what I've been through, when you found yourself on a dirty Damascus road, but God picked you up, planted your feet on that road, and marched you towards your destiny, you understand the power of God's grace in your life. You understand what it enables you to do. And Paul had an unbelievable understanding of the principle of grace. He wrote it in all of his letters. He had these great farewells. As Paul closed a book, he said, by to you by pronouncing grace on your life. Romans 16, 20, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Galatians 6, 18, the grace of our Lord be with you and your spirit. Second Thessalonians, I love this one, guys. Second Thessalonians 3.18, the grace of our Lord be with you, and I write this by my own hand. Not a scribe's writing this for me. I'm saying this out of my heart. I want grace to be in your life. <clears throat> you got to say, thank you, Paul. More importantly, you got to say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching right now better than you're shouting. Come on and be with me. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So Paul gives us these great grace favorite farewells, but he also gives us four principles of how grace interacts in your life. And that's what Pastor Ron wants to give you this morning. The four great truths about grace. Here's number one, write it down. Grace saves us from sin. Grace saves me from sin. Ephesians 2, 4 But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions. Can I take, can I chase a bunny trail? Okay, well then I won't. (laughs) Can I chase a bunny trail? We talked about this in Freedom Group on Wednesday because Pastor Hector brought up a great point of us coming to Christ and how we come to Christ. And I told the story, or I gave the illustration, one of the greatest stories of you and I coming to Christ is the prodigal of the the parable, rather, of the prodigal. And get this in your mind's eye. Here's the father, uh, kind of at the end of his driveway, and he looks down, and there's the son. And the son comes down that long, winding road of that driveway. And here's what the father said. This is my son, who was dead, but is alive again. That word is the Greek word nekros. It literally means, here is my son who had breath, but no life in his life. He had breath, 
but no life. Come on now, somebody. How many of you have been like Pastor Ron? You've had breath, you're breathing, you're alive, but there's no life in you until God comes into your life and changes your dynamics and everything that you're walking in. That's what I'm talking about here. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions, for it's by grace that you are saved. Not a works mentality. I am so thankful that I'm not laboring today to try to do enough to warrant God's love in my life. I walked into his grace and said, God, forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creature. And he came in and met me because I asked. And because you asked. And my life was changed. Dr. Timothy Keller, he wrote a book one time called What's So Amazing? about grace. And I took a quote from his book here, and I love this quote. Let me, let me read it to you. The quote says this. I, I love this quote. Follow along carefully. The gospel is this. It's this simple, guys. The gospel is this. We are much more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet, at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hoped. And I tell you what, man, I was flawed. I don't know about you. I, yeah, I do. I know about you. We were, we were flawed. We had a problem. We were failing miserably. We were going down a path of destruction, and all of a sudden, Jesus walked in by his love, his mercy, his grace, and accepted us and brought things into our life that are more imaginable than we could ever dare to think. We could ever hope to think. And that's what the gospel is. It's that simple. We're sinful and flawed, changed by the power of Jesus Christ. We were in a meeting the other day, and Pastor Jamie, where's Pastor Jamie? Is he in here? It doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it does. I mean, it does matter. But it doesn't matter. And Pastor Jamie said something. He gave a quote. And, you know, Pastor Jamie's a man of integrity, and he said he didn't know who said this. And it was a powerful quote. And right away, I said, that goes with the word I want to share, so I'm going to use it. So I did some research to try to find out who said it. And I couldn't find it either. So what I did was I gave him credit. So so here's a quote by Dr. Jamie Chung Yu. See, here's what... Here's what happens in your life and mine. Mercy withholds the penalty that I rightfully deserve. And then grace brings in the forgiveness that God has earned for me. See, here's the the result of that. My salvation, I'm, I'm sorry, another name for that work, another name for that work of what God has done is to call you and I the redeemed. You and I are the redeemed of God. To redeem simply means to buy back out of debt. How many of you were in spiritual debt? Come on, somebody. We were in spiritual debt. We were in despair. We were in bondage. But to be redeemed is to be set free by the payment of a price. And no matter what I try to do, I can't pay that price. No matter how many dude teams I serve on, I can't pay that price. You know what I told the first service? I sit a lot of times in premarital ministry with couples, and I talk about the value of redeeming. What does it mean to redeem? What does it mean to, to bring that, that, that self-worth 
into your, your husband or your wife's life. But you know what I found out? In order to redeem something, I have to first know what the value of that thing is. I got to understand its value. I am not going to Walmart this afternoon. And I give you my word there, I am not going to Walmart this afternoon. I'm not going to Walmart and I'm not going to pick up an item on the shelf and go through the checkout line and say, you know what, here is a tube of toothpaste. I really don't care what you charge me for it. It doesn't matter what the price is, just ring it up and I'll get out of here. Not gonna do that. Before I ever get to that checkout line, I know what the value of that tube of toothpaste is. Look, Jesus looked at you and said, I'm gonna redeem you, and because I'm gonna redeem you, I'm gonna show your value, I'm gonna show your worth, I'm gonna put you on a path of greatness because I see how valuable you are. You know what the result of that is? I love this right here. The result of that redemption is this. It's our salvation is to promote the kingdom of God for the salvation of the soul. My salvation is so that I can be saved, but it doesn't stop there. The kingdom of God brings salvation to my soul, but also my salvation is for the salvation of a society. God changed you so that you could change culture. God changed you so that you could change society. Look at the last phrase there. He graced you to be saved and salt. Man, I'm going to tell you what, that's good right there. Like I said, I'm preaching better than you're shouting, but I still love you. I do. I love you with all of my heart, but I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. He graced you to be saved, changed, redeemed, but he also changed you to be salt to a dying anti-God society. Man, I love that. Number two, here we go. So the first thing is grace saves us. Number two, grace teaches us to be godly. Grace teaches us to be godly. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Look at this. I love this phrase. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live a life that is self-controlled and to live a life that is self-controlled. Look, guys, it doesn't matter what culture has done to recently mess up the definition of grace. Grace doesn't excuse. It doesn't wash over. It doesn't say, well, that's just your nature, rather. Grace literally gives me the power to say no. Grace gives me the ability to live a life of self-control. Now, there is a difference in living a life of self-control and living a life of willpower. Now, listen to PR for just a second, because I'm going to set you free. There is a difference of living a life of self-control and living a life of willpower. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit. Willpower is a fruit of human nature. Melly had a great statement in our meeting the other day, because here's what we do. I'm I'm gonna exercise my willpower and I'm gonna be more righteous. I'm gonna be more righteous. I'm gonna be more righteous. I'm gonna do better, Pastor Ron. Next time I come into your office for counseling, I'm gonna tell you that I'm gonna do better. It's gonna be better. I I just gotta do it. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better. That's willpower. And you know what willpower does? Willpower leads me to hypocrisy or burnout. Because I can't do enough. So sooner or later, I'm going to burn out. Willpower causes me, the phrase you used, Melly, was this, a lot of people white knuckle their Christianity. Don't you like that? 
Get that in your mind's eye. I'm white knuckling. I'm going to do it. 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 Outside of God's grace, no, I am not. No, I am not. So what I've got to understand is I've got to get out of that idea of moral performance because here's what moral performance does. It makes me feel both superior and insecure at the same time because sometimes I'm white knuckling my Christianity and I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing okay. I'm feeling all right about myself. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And then all of a sudden the enemy comes against me and hits me like a flood. And now I feel very insecure. What happened? I was doing so good. What happened? See, that's the downfall of moral performance. Let me give you this statement right here and it'll help out. The result is that many believers stay immature because they never progress beyond the revelation that they are sinners saved by grace. Now there's nothing wrong. Pastor Ron, help me out here. Is there something wrong with being a sinner saved by grace? Absolutely not. I am a sinner saved by grace, but I don't want to just see myself as a sinner saved by grace. Let me ask you a question. How would you rather see yourself as just a sinner saved by grace or an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus? Huh? That the sufferings of this life shall in no way be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in me. How do you want to see yourself? I'm okay with seeing myself as a sinner saved by grace. I just don't want to stop there. I want to move on and see myself as an heir of God and joint heir with Jesus. And I can do that because my righteousness doesn't depend on my performance. My righteousness doesn't depend on my present performance, but on Jesus's finished performance. He hung on the cross and said, it is finished. You've got grace. You've got mercy. You've got power. You've got joy. You've got destiny. You've got everything you need to succeed. It's not dependent upon what you can do. Mm. Mm. On three, go mm. one, two, three. Mm, that sounded good. And so what that leads me to is that leads me to grace and forgiveness. And here's the beauty of grace and forgiveness. Grace and forgiveness, when I get to that place getting out of moral performance, I get to the place of grace and forgiveness, I feel grateful. I, I don't feel burnt out. I don't feel like I can't do it anymore. I feel grateful. I'm thankful for God's grace. And yet at the same time, I'm humbled by God's grace. The church is at its best when we embrace both grace and truth and refuse to let go of either one. We're at our best. Look, guys, grace and truth are not opposites. They work together to bring success into your life. And so when I embrace both grace and truth, we are at our best when we do that. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Jesus with the woman at the well, caught in adultery, and he looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? She says, I guess they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn thee, grace, but now go and sin no more, truth. See how they work together? And that's when the church is at its best, when we embrace both grace and truth. So number three, here we go. Number one, grace saves us from sin. 
Number two, grace teaches me to be godly. Number three, I love this one, guys. Go ahead and say, why do you like it, Pastor Ron? I'm really glad you asked. Here we go. Grace empowers us to serve. Each of you, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful servants of God's grace. 1 Peter 4.10. Use your gift that you have received to serve others, and you are to be a faithful servant of God's grace. Listen, guys, when I am not using the gifts that God has given me, when I'm just letting them kind of sit by the wayside, and I'm not using those gifts in the body of Christ, what I have created is a gap. Now, what is a gap, PR? Let me show you what a gap is. A gap is a space between what is and what ought to be. And when I am not using my gifts to fill that gap, I've created a space between what is and what should be. I've created a gap that needs to be filled. And that gap is filled by your gifts. That gap is filled by what God has placed in your life to use for the benefit of the body of Christ. My favorite Italian philosopher is a gentleman named Rocky Balboa. He's my favorite. And he actually had a lot of really cool things to say about gaps. Very educational. So watch this and let's see what Rocky has to say about gaps. Let's watch this. My sister, how are you getting along together? How do you think? Uh, I'm not sure, huh? What's the story? About what? What's the story? What's happening? You really like her? Sure I like her. I don't see it. What's the attraction? I don't know. It fills gaps, I guess. What's gaps? I don't know, gaps. She's got gaps, I got gaps. Together we fill gaps. I don't know. Uh, to, to, together we fill gaps. It's simple. Together we fill gaps. You've got something that I don't have. You have the ability to fill a gap that I can't fill. You have the ability to fill a space that I can't fill. And so it takes something that ought to be, and it causes it to be something that it should. So together we fill gaps. And you know what? A lot of times I think all of us have been guilty of saying, well, you know, Pastor Ron, I don't really know where I should serve. Where should I serve? What? But here's what happens. When I am serving, I go ahead and step into the deep end of the ocean and I start serving, even though I may not know exactly where, I just get out of the idea of being a spiritual Rip Van Winkle and sleeping through this thing called life. And I do something May not be the best thing, may not be the thing that I'm designed to be, but until I find that, I find something to do. And when I do, I see more because God magnifies himself in me. I find out more by just getting up and doing something. I may be wanting to find that great place, but I step into the water and I start serving and I start understanding more. Well, you know, what we do a lot of times is, well, you know, Pastor Ron, uh, here's what's happening. I, I'm, uh, I want to serve, but I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. I turned into Eeyore. I'm waiting on the Lord. 
Well, you know what? Waiting on the Lord is okay. Nothing wrong with waiting on the Lord. But listen, waiting on the Lord doesn't mean that I don't do something. I can wait on the Lord. I can wait on the Lord and still, still be very busy about the Father's business. Let me prove it to you. Parable of the ten servants. Jesus tells the story of how the master gave the servants something. What did he give them? He gave them money. And then he uses an interesting phrase. He gives them this money. He says, now here's what I want you to do. I want you to occupy until I come. Now, in modern day Christianity, we've kind of turned that phrase occupy into something like, let's just take up space. Occupy, just take up space, just, just be there until Jesus comes. Not what the word means at all. In the original language, it literally means, occupy literally means do business. Do the Father's business. Invest your life. Invest your ability. Invest your giftings. Invest your talents. And you may find, you know what? Man, I just feel like I'm kind of spinning my wheels. Keep investing your life because what you're doing, I guarantee it, is impacting somebody around you. Impacting somebody around you. Number four. So number one, grace saves us. Number two, grace teaches us to be godly. Number three, grace empowers us to serve. And number four, grace grants us access to God's presence. Grace grants us access to God's presence. Hebrews says this, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then, I love this phrase, man. I love this phrase. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. I'm not cowering into the presence of God. The devil will tell me I should, but I'm not going to do it because I'm redeemed. I'm changed by his power. I have a right to be there. So let us approach with confidence that we may then receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Grace gives me the ability, it gives me the freedom to go boldly into the presence of God. And I think everybody in here wants to be able to, if I can use the phrase, feel God's presence. I love feeling God's presence. But listen to me now. There are times, and I've heard you say it to me and you said it to others, Pastor Ron, I I really want to feel God's presence. I really want to feel God's presence. I just, I so want to feel God's presence, but I'm in a dry place, man. The heavens are as brass. And I just don't feel like I'm feeling God's presence. Well, let me set your mind at ease. Feelings aren't necessarily evidence of God's presence. If you always felt God, you wouldn't need faith. I'm not always going to feel God's presence. What I need to understand is I pursue God's presence. And that pursuit of God's presence meets me where I am. Hey, guys, faith is a verb. Belief is a noun. Faith is a verb. Pistas. It literally means to pursue with action. The word, the word faith, I'm sorry, yes, faith is a verb. It denotes action. And so there are times 
I may not feel God's presence. Let me tell you what to do. If you can't figure out your purpose, figure out your passion, because passion will lead you to purpose. It'll lead you to what God's showing you to do. It's a verb. It denotes doing something. And there are times I can't figure it out. It's okay. Get passionate about God's presence and let that presence fill you with doing something that creates a purpose in your life and my life. Let me mess with your theology for two seconds because here's what you and I need to understand. Because we've made the presence of God something that uh, can cause us to get off track a little bit. So let's bring some balance back to it if we need to. The presence of God is not always going to fix your problems. Whoa, 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 Pastor Ron. I thought the presence of God did everything. Well, technically it does. But you know what? There are things that I have done in my life and there are things that you have done in your life that created a consequence. And all the presence of God in the world is not going to take away that consequence. But here's the cool thing. The presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective. Because what it says to me is, you know what? And I'll tell you guys, man, a few years back, I did something that was so dumb. I'm finding myself over and over and over again, having to live with the consequence of that. 15 years ago, I made a horrible mistake and it follows me around. But today I'm a redeemed child of God. Today I'm changed. Today I'm saved. Today I'm healed. Today I'm whole. Yeah, a few years back, I did something stupid. Doggone it. I just turned into Bobby Bowden. <laughs> but today, I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Is the consequence still there? Maybe. Has it gone away? Maybe not. Doesn't matter. I may have done something dumb a few years ago, but it's not hovering over me because I am receiving healing from it because of God's presence. May not be able to get it to go away, but I can be healed from it. Somebody, I'm tell you, tell you again, I'm, I'm preaching better than you're shouting right now. The grace of God, man, it's not cheap. It's not diluted. It's not downplayed. It's not easing away our actions. It's just not doing that. The grace of God is not cheap. One of the greatest foundational stones, theological stones of our spiritual walk, and it is not played down or cheap. Here's what it is. It causes us to understand there is no sin too great for His grace. There's no habit too big for His healing. And there's no label the enemy can try to place on you that is too strong for his love. The enemy will lie to you and he'll say unworthy. He'll say failure. He'll say you ain't going to make it. He'll say you got a bad pedigree. He said you got a bad background. And he'll bring every label that will cause you to sit there and feel unworthy that he possibly can. There is no label too big for the wonderful love of God. And it allows you to walk out from under that and be 
healed in Jesus' name. Set free. Set free. Time doesn't do that. Listen to Pastor Ron for just a second and I'm done. Time doesn't do that. If time heals, then God's not necessary. Time doesn't do that. It may cause an adjustment, but it doesn't do that. God heals. And His grace walks you through that beautiful healing process and sets you free and free indeed. Amen? You love me? I love you too. Bow your heads for me. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the power of your truth. I thank you for the power of your gospel. I thank you for the power of your freedom that you give us. I thank you, Lord, for your peace that you willed to us as you went to be at the right hand of the Father. You said, my peace, I leave with you. You willed your peace to us. And I thank you, Lord, that you gave us your peace, your mercy, your love, your joy, your grace, your ability to be able, allowing us to be able to be victorious. I thank you for your grace, that wonderful foundational truth of our Christianity today. That when the storm clouds roll in, and the enemy inserts those fiery darts of the lie into our mind. Your grace causes us to stand at attention and know that we are more than a conqueror through him who loves us. I thank you for all of it. And now, Father, I thank you that as we stand here in this wonderful congregation, we can bring a challenge, a hope, to those that may need to come to that place of the grace of salvation. Thank you that we are the redeemed of the Lord. And Father, if there's one in here that needs to come to that place of the grace of salvation, minister to their life right now by your wonderful arm of love. Speak to their spirit with compassion and mercy. Nobody's looking around for just a second. I, I know we say that a lot, but just I do that out of respect. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Ron, I really need to come to that place of grace, particularly that place of the grace of salvation. I need to come to that place of, of letting those old things go away and quit haunting me and be able to walk to that new place of walking out from under that cloud of despair and be redeemed, just like that definition you gave us says. I need to come to that place of experiencing the grace of salvation, but I need some help. Would you please pray for me? If you're in that category this morning, as I've just described, I would really like to pray for you. Not gonna embarrass you, not gonna you know, make you feel uncomfortable, that's not our, our DNA, but we are here to love you and help you. So if you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Ron, I'm at that place of needing to come to that grace of salvation. I need some help. Would you please pray for me? Put your hand up right where you are, real quickly. Real quickly, yes. 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 Yes, I got you right there, yes. If you put it up, you can put it right back down as I've recognized it. Yes. Yes, I got you right there, buddy. I got you right there, yes. Thank God. Now here's what I want you to do. We're gonna to pray together, still just kind of being respectful. The Bible is really clear and yet very simple, guys. It says this, Romans chapter 10 says, if you believe in your mouth, 
with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died, rose again, you shall be saved. And so what I'm going to do, along with this entire congregation, lead you to pray. And all I'm going to ask you to do is to pray with us. Everybody's going to pray out loud, so nobody's got to worry about anything. We're going to pray out loud, and all I want you to do is confess with your mouth, and as you do that, believe in your heart, because what we're telling you is the truth. And Jesus will come into your life as Lord and Savior and bring that grace of salvation. So everybody praying together. Father, I come to you right now in Jesus' name. And I ask you, Lord, to forgive me of my sins. Father, I declare that I do need that place of grace, specifically the grace of salvation. I need to come to a place of asking you, Lord, to forgiving me of my sins, being redeemed, and marching forward to so many great things ahead. Father, I confess that I have sinned, I've fallen short, but that's going behind me now. All that old is being made new, and I'm going to a new life in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for loving me enough to make that provision for me. And I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big ovation of praise as Jamie comes. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about our church, visit therockonline.org.